Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, August 19th, 2021. I have a recurring dream. In this dream, I am younger and still a soccer player. It always starts with my team running out of the locker room onto the field to start a really important championship game. As I get up to run out with them, I realize that I am still in normal clothes. As I realize this, my heart rate goes up. The game is starting any minute, I think. I scramble to find my gear, but I can never find my shoes. Where are my shoes? And if I ever do find them, I can't seem to be able to tie them. I am not dressed for action, and the result is devastating. At least that's how I feel while I'm dreaming. I spend the entire dream trying to make it out onto the field while I hear the game being played in the background. I never end up stepping foot onto the field, and I wake up frustrated and usually sweaty and a little frantic. Now that's just a bad dream, but I want to describe a similar scenario, one that I would categorize as a nightmare. Imagine that Christ returns and you are in the proverbial locker room while everyone else is out on the field. Time and time again, scripture is clear that we should always be ready for Christ's return, being found doing the work that he's left us to do until he returns to gather his church. Our gospels passage in Luke 12 today serves to remind us that Christ can come back at any time and we must live every day as if his return could be today. Let's unpack verses 35 through 48. In this first section, there's a few statements I want to take note of. First, stay dressed for action. This is the idea of having a long robe tucked under your belt. Men would wear long robes in this time, and it was hard if they ran if that wasn't tucked up under their belt. If you suddenly had to run, then it would take some time to adjust the robe before you could get up to full speed. What in your life is a metaphoric long robe untucked? In other words, What is present in your life that hinders you from running after the Lord? Maybe you have too many commitments that require you to invest in temporal things much more than eternal things. Maybe you live beyond your means and therefore have to work more than you normally would and therefore can't invest as much in the kingdom. Maybe your study of the word and time and prayer is hindered because your consumption of entertainment is far too much. Whatever is metaphorically a long robe untucked in your life, perhaps today is a good day to confess those things, pray for God to help you make changes, and dress for action. Then Christ says, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. You don't want to be caught lulled to sleep by the world when Christ does return. You don't know what watch of the night He is coming, so that means you have to be ready at all times. What is possibly tempting you to be lulled to sleep? Impatience? thinking that the world is winning and sometimes you act as if God is maybe asleep? Perhaps you're deceived into thinking you have more time than you actually do. Or maybe you suffer from the once-eye syndrome. I'll start reading the word more once I finish school. I'll start serving the church once I get this project done. I'll start giving more to the church once I get this paid off. Now Christ continues. He says, You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What does it look like? to be ready for the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, to return. Well, in verses 42 through 48, Christ explains the difference between the wise manager and the unfaithful servant. So we get the idea that being ready for Christ's return is synonymous to being a good steward over what he has entrusted us with. Christ goes on to explain how the wise manager and the unfaithful servant might differ, but the bottom line is stated very clearly in verse 48. 
Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I want to take a moment to praise God because mostly everyone listening to my voice has probably been blessed in amazing ways by the Lord. I encouraged you yesterday to spend time praising God through prayer for what you're thankful for, to gain a peace that surpasses all understanding. If you did that exercise, then you can say with a loud amen when I say that God has blessed us immensely. In light of this verse in Luke today, let's respond well out of that heart of gratitude. Based on what God has provided through financial means, physical talents, opportunities, what does it look like to be a wise manager of his resources? That's going to look different for each one of us, but the first step in being a wise manager is praying to God, asking him what he desires us to do with it. Perhaps this is a good time to have a conversation with your spouse or close brothers and sisters to really process through how to be a wise manager of what God has entrusted you with. And while we process that question in God's providence, he has given us some specific things to think about in our New Testament reading in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I love how Paul simultaneously encourages the Thessalonians, letting them know that they are walking in a way that is pleasing to God, but that they should also do so more and more. No matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, our sanctification is never complete this side of heaven. Paul gives some categories to keep a watchful eye on. First off, sexual impurity. We must steward over our bodies and our minds as we grow in holiness. Paul makes a pretty big point about this, stating, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. In a world that is carelessly impure, we must be vigilantly pure. If you aren't regularly auditing what you watch, read, or listen to, then I would imagine there's a great possibility that you're allowing impurity to creep into your life. Paul then turns their attention to brotherly love, encouraging them that they are doing a good job in this category, but to do this more and more. He continues, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I too want to commend you, Compass Bible Church. You are walking in brotherly love well, but I encourage you to do it more and more. So perhaps today is a good day to think about how you live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, or serve the church, you could say, walk properly before outsiders. Is there anything on that list that you can do more and more? Now, Paul continues in chapter 4, first by assuring the Thessalonians that those saints who have died will indeed be resurrected upon Christ's return. Paul refers to those who have died as those who are asleep. Now, those who have died are with the Lord currently. Paul is not stating that they are in some kind of soul sleep. No, indeed, they are in fellowship with God in some kind of intermediate state. Rather, he is using the sleep metaphor, perhaps in a way that helps to make the point that they will awake at the resurrection in bodily form. Paul continues saying, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's two encouraging statements in here that I want us to focus on. First, he says, and so we will always be with the Lord. What an encouraging thought today. When Christ returns, we will go with him and never be apart from him in person again. Let that sink in. This life, it is a mist, the Bible says. 
and any pain experienced here is a light momentary affliction. And so we will always be with the Lord. Always. Nothing good in this life is forever, but one day we will be with the Lord forever. What can't we handle here in light of this truth? The second statement to focus on is this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We must remind each other of Christ's return and his reign and that we will always be with him. When a brother or sister is living in despair and their head is drooping low, gently touch their chin and lift their gaze upward, reminding them that up there, that is our home. We are going there soon and we'll be there forever. And why does that message bring us such joy? Why are we so excited to be in heaven forever? Because God will be there and we will be with him in perfect glory forever. God is worthy to be praised. And we're reminded of this in poetic fashion in Psalm 98 today. This psalm reminds us that the whole world has seen the salvation of our God and that we should make a joyful noise to the Lord. Even creation makes a joyful noise to the Lord. It's been said that this psalm is behind the famous Isaac Watts Christmas song, Joy to the World. And there's one part of that famous song that I want to point out. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. This is a joyful Christmas song, but this specific verse brings attention to the last part of Psalm 98, which says, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. There is no joy without the Lord, and he is not the Lord without perfect justice. This brings great peace to those of us who are in Christ, and we cheer on the judgment of the Lord, seeing that this world is in sinful rebellion against the holy God. But if it wasn't for God's sovereign hand of grace, we too would be lost in our sin. May this grow our compassion for the lost, and may this increase our prayers for the lost, and may this increase our evangelism to the lost. Now, I think it's only fitting that we end today by wrapping up the book of Esther in our Old Testament reading. In a dramatic grand finale of God's sovereign hand, we see Haman is hanged on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Mordecai is set over the house of Haman. The king sends out an edict, essentially reversing his original edict to eradicate the Jews. And it says, in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And in a providential twist, the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. When a short time before this moment, they feared that all Jews would be killed by those who hated them. Mordecai establishes the Feast of Purim, a time set aside to remember the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies. And this feast continues to be celebrated even to today. But I want to end by focusing on the last verse in the book of Esther. It says this, For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. If you remember, just a few days ago in our reading, just a few chapters ago, Mordecai was going to be hanged on a gallows 50 cubits high. That's approximately 75 feet tall. Things look dire for him and all of the Jewish people. But here we are at the end of the story, and he is the second highest ranked person in the land. And the Jews are not only safe, but all their enemies are eradicated. Imagine for a moment that your entire life, everything that will happen to you is written in a book. From the time that you were born until the day that you stand face to face with Christ.
Now imagine that it's sitting on your coffee table so that you can literally walk over, pick it up, flip to the back, and see how the story ends. Although no such book exists, there is a book that allows you to gain the same level of confidence about how the story ends. The Word of God is clear about several things that will never change, giving us the ability to predict the most important things about the future, about your future. If you have put your trust in Christ, you will be with Him forever in perfect glory, never in pain again, never in sorrow again, and never wrought with sin again. God will judge all evil and wickedness in the end, and all things in this life will work together for your good if you love Christ. The truth is, your story will never end. It will simply flip from the chapter on this earth to the chapter in eternity. And the size of chapter 1 on this earth compared to the chapter in eternity is so small, it will barely be detectable a million years into chapter 2. And this really brings us back to the fact that Christ will return any day now. He is coming back to usher in this next chapter. Will you be ready for his return? It wouldn't just be a bad dream if you were found in the locker room while the rest of the team is out on the field. It would be a nightmare. Christ has given us work to do as his church. I pray that today's reading gives you the courage to trust God's promises and work every day as if Christ will return at any moment. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Ben Blakey will be back on August 25th. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.